Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through his word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. I want to read from Psalm 23, Psalm 23, verse 5. This is one single verse and uh, one single phrase we're going to look at today. And um, it's an amazing, amazing passage. Of course, this is called the Good Shepherd Psalm, right? And in the Good Shepherd Psalm, although there's only six verses, we could probably take a whole year to preach from it. And the reason being, there, there are at least 12 different pictures of God's goodness to us. 12 different metaphors of how God, as the Good Shepherd, treats our lives. He says in Psalm 23 and verse 5, he said, You anoint my head with oil. Notice that. You, God, anoint my head with oil. Now, what in the world does that mean? What in the world does that mean? Now, you've got to understand, in an ancient Near Eastern world, shepherds obviously took care of sheep. And sheep, oftentimes, they had flies that were flying around them. And the flies would go up the nostrils of the sheep, and once the flies got in the nostrils, they would hatch eggs or lay eggs. And the le- once the eggs hatched in the nose of the sheep, the larva would go up. Instead of coming south, they would go north into the brain. And that brain of that sheep would become infested. And so the, you would find sheep beating their heads on trees and beating their heads on rocks to try to take care of the larva that are swarming in their brain. And so what he says is that as God anoints your head with oil, he's going to take care of the things that irritate you. Okay, he's that good of a God. He's going to cover your nose. He's covering your head with oil. Okay, he goes on to say your cup overflows. What does that mean? In the ancient Near Eastern world, when you sit down to eat, if the, if the guest or the host was done with you, okay, you're done with the, the dinner, they would stop filling up your cup. But as long as your cup was there and they kept on filling it up, they're saying, you're welcome to stay in my house. So how many of you know you're welcome to stay in his house all times, all days, right? My cup is overflowing. It's consistent. God is opening his arms, a a, a position of hospitality, right? Being hospitable. But this verse, Psalm 23, 5, was written over 3,000 years ago. You think about it. How could it possibly have any relevance to my life today? Or how can it have any relevance to the goodness of God? Well, we've got to understand, first of all, what anointing is. What does it mean to be anointed? Well, that depends on who's doing the anointing. You'll say, what does it mean to be anointed? Well, it depends on who's doing the anointing. If you had your next door neighbor come over to your house tomorrow and they had oil and they said, hey, can, can I anoint you with oil? And you said, okay. And you stepped out your front door and they anointed you with oil and they said, I proclaim you king of the universe. Would that change your life? No. Why? Because they have no authority to do anything about it. What does it mean to be anointed? Well, it depends on who's doing the anointing. They have no authority to back up the proclamation they're making. They could say, oh, you're the king of rock and roll. I proclaim you, any, any rock and roll fans? Just me. All right, yo, cool, we got a few, yeah. They call it classic rock on my, sh- on my station. I don't know why, I just w- wish they'd call it rock, okay? Classic rock seems a little more, I don't know, we'll just, won't, we won't keep talking about that. But I like rock and roll, 70s, 80s rock, I really, really like, okay? And, and so if a guy said, hey, hey, you know what, I proclaim you the king of rock and roll, it would make no difference. Make no difference, why? Because it depends on who's doing the anointing. I put down a definition on your card for you to be on the screen as well. When we talk about the anointing, there is an anointing or to be anointed by God, which is internal. And there is an anointing by people, which is external. Let's unwrap this and see the benefits in your life. When you say you're anointed by God, that happens internally. What does it mean to be anointed? It means that God, it's when God gives through his Holy Spirit... He gives you insight. Now, this is all supernatural. This is nothing you can muster up. Insight, authority, ability, stamina, all supernatural, okay? Authority or protection that you don't normally have. Why? In order to do a job that God has chosen you to do. That's his anointing. His anointing in that sense yeah, comes from the word creo. It's this word anoint in scripture. And it means the authority and the ability to perform God's will, watch this, with supernatural strength. 
to perform what he desires with the strength that he provides. Now listen, when you're anointed by God, God gives you supernaturally, he gives you ability, he gives you wisdom, he gives you stamina that you don't have in order to do a job that God has for you to do. That's what anointing is in the Bible. And that word anointing is seen all throughout the scripture. Now depending on your faith tradition, you know, this this word has been so destroyed throughout the years, particularly in kind of hyper-charismatic circles, right? Um, and and you, you, you grew up in some faith traditions and, you know, you didn't have church until your mascara was running and your face was full of oil. And then others of you are thinking about your faith tradition, man, I, I don't even know what this oil thing's all about. Okay, no, no worry, we're not going to throw oil on you today or nothing like that. Okay, and not against your will, nothing like that. But when we talk about oil or anointing, it's been kind of abused. But that word anointing is to receive supernatural ability to do his will. To do God's will in my life, in your life. Now, anointing by people is something altogether different. It's an outward symbol of the inward thing you and I just talked about. To be anointed externally means that someone prayerfully, and it is prayerfully, applies some oil to your skin. Usually happens in the forehead, but can happen other places. They prayerfully apply oil to your skin as an outward sign, watch this, of what God's doing on the inside of you. You say, Craig, that's unique. It's really not. All throughout Scripture, God does this. You say, what do you mean? He gives us an external symbol of an internal process. Now think about it. The Lord's Supper, what we call the Eucharist or communion. The Lord's Supper is an external symbol of the death and crucifixion of Jesus, right? That's what the crackers and the juice or the bread and the wine, they represent, okay? Now, I'm not just saying they're, they're, they're just an identification of remembrance. They're, they're a sacrament, but it's an external, it's an external representation. What about ba- water baptism? We baptize people right here in our altar, right? Water baptism is what? It's an outward sign of an inward change. When I'm baptized in water, there's nothing special about the water. When I'm baptized in water, I'm buried with Christ. You know what that means? That means I have died to my old way of living. And when I come up out of the water, listen, listen, when I come up out of the water, it's not me turning a new leaf, it's me gaining a new life. I'm not just having behavior modification, okay? I can get people to change with behavior modification, but the only true lasting real change is gospel change. And when I realize that I have been dead in sin but raised to newness and life in Christ, and what happens is that when I come up out of the water, I'm claiming I'm forgiven. I have a new life. I've been born again. All of my sins have been forgiven. Now, neither communion nor water baptism save you. I call these sacraments, I call them the wedding ring of the Christian life. That's what I call them. The wedding ring of the Christian life. What do you mean? This ring was given to me by my bride 12 years ago, May 19, 2007, and Hickson, Tennessee. And I stood up in a solemn assembly with people that meant everything in the world to me in front of God, in front of governing authorities, right? Everything that meant some type of authority in my life. And I said two words at a ceremony that changed my life. I said, I do. Now, y'all, when I said those words, I do, I had no idea what that meant and what I was doing when I said I do. Okay? In fact, the rest of my life, I'm working out the implications of what it meant when I said I do, right? That's what my life is about. Mayor sometimes in a, in a moment of heated conversation, she will sometimes say to me, hey, um, that's included in the fine print of I do. And I'm like, oh, really? That's included in the fine print of I do? You know, like, yeah. And I'm like, babe, I do, and I, I did, and I still do, okay? I did, and I still do. I do to the day I die. Now, I could lose this ring, y'all, and I'd still be married. I'd still be married. Mary would be upset, I would be upset, but this doesn't make me married, it's just a symbol. When someone anoints you with oil, there is nothing mystical or magical about the properties of the EVOOO. Okay? There's nothing mystical about the properties of the oil that is being used. Just like the water in baptism. There's nothing mystical about that water. I don't care what Carrie Underwood told you. There's nothing in the water. It's just water. It's just H2O, okay? No matter where you go to, if you go to that water, this body of water, doesn't matter what water you go to, it's water. It's water. Everybody wants to be baptized in the Jordan. It's fun. It's cool. It's awesome. But listen, you can get baptized at the pool down here in Canton just like you can in the Jordan River. It's it's just water. There's nothing magical about the water. But what happens is oil, when you're anointed, is just olive oil. But it's the symbol, catch this, of something far more significant and in the faith that God has anointed you on the inside. Now, in the Bible, 
Oil is used as a symbol for so many different things. It's a symbol of God's Holy Spirit. Oil is a symbol of God's presence. Oil is the symbol of blessing on your life. When someone's anointed in Scripture with oil, it's a symbol that God approves of them, that they're approved. It's a symbol of God's promises. Oil is a symbol of God's protection. Oil is a symbol of God's prosperity. Oil is a symbol of comfort. Oil is a symbol of healing. There is, the Bible talks about the oil of joy. The Bible talks about the oil of gladness. When I've gone through difficult seasons in my own life or my own marriage or my own family, I've had people come and lay hands on me and anoint me with oil. Why? Because it's an it's a outward symbol of the oil of gladness that we're believing God for. The oil of joy that we're believing God for. There is the oil of deliverance. Now, now here's what's fascinating to me. In the Old Testament, there was only three people that could be anointed. You had to be a priest, you had to be a prophet, or you had to be a king. And even today, kings are still anointed, right? Some thousands of years later, some kings are anointed. It's kind of a sign of God's authority or God's blessing and approval. And the fascinating thing is that only priests could anoint. Only priests. No one else could anoint. In fact, the anointing was so sacred to the Hebrews that no one could own anointing oil in their own house. You couldn't have it in your own house. It's in the place of gathering. And so the anointing oil was used by the priests, but... Listen to me, i got good gospel news for us. When Jesus Christ came, when the Son of God came, when the Son of God became the Son of Man, and He died on a cross, the Bible says He broke up the old system and the veil in the temple was torn in two. It was torn from top to bottom, not bottom to top because we don't ascend to God in salvation. He descends to us in the person of Christ. And it was rent from top to bottom. And the Bible says at that moment, you now have access to directly go to God. You don't need a priest anymore. You need no other mediator other than Jesus Christ to go to God the Father. In the Old Testament, you had to have a priest to go to God. You had to have a priest to pray to God. You had to confess your sins through a priest. Well, listen, now that Jesus has died through his own body, the veil, you don't have to go to a priest anymore. You can confess directly to God. In fact, whether you believe it or not, the Bible says if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a priest. It's called the priesthood of the believer. The priesthood. We use the phrase here a lot, every member is a minister. Uh, we use the phrase manifesting Christ in many ways. What does we say? We're saying that God anoints each of our lives for the purpose for which he's called us. That every one of us is anointed by God. We don't need someone to come between us and God anymore. We don't need a priest other than Jesus himself. Through Christ, I have direct access. And because you are a priest, whether a man or a woman, you have the authority to anoint people with oil. You have the authority. If you're a follower of Jesus, you can pray and have the authority to pray for people's healing. You have the authority to do all the things that the priest in the Old Testament used to do. All of them. I was so blessed this week. Um, my, I told you my daughter, she's, she's our miracle child, right? She's already had a hole in her heart healed. She's had hair grow, these big locks, right, in the last year. She lost all of her hair and her whole body. And uh, we, we took her to the, the clinic. Uh, what day was it? The day after Thanksgiving, yeah, we were there first in line because she was just constantly. We had to take her to the ER a couple weeks ago because her oxygen dropped, her sats dropped to like ninety because of just the the asthma and the rails and things in her in her lungs. And so they were giving her, you know, the nebulizer and the albuterol and all that. And so they were just testing for the flu, and she had no flu. And then they listened to her lungs and said, "I hate to admit, but we're gonna have to send you to get an X-ray because we think there's pneumonia." And we're like, "Nah, no, no pneumonia in that three-year-old." And um, the lady kind of looking at me out of the side of her eye, and, and I'm noticing and feeling something. And finally, she gets to the end, and she says, before I send you to the x-ray, she said, uh, she said, can I pray with you and your wife and your baby? She said, when you walked into the room, I noticed something different. Well, what is that? That's the Holy Spirit's anointing. Oh, yeah, when the Holy Spirit lives in you, you can find the Holy Spirit in another believer without even words. There's an affinity. There's a connection. And she started praying, prayed prayer of faith over my child. My wife was boo-hoo and crying. She's like, I have no idea what that makes me to pray for this baby. I'm like, hey, listen, God, I can pray all day, but when you send somebody else to do it who's just a clinician, you know, just working as a nurse practitioner, awesome, God. Why? Because you, as a follower of Christ, have the authority to pray for healing. You do. Every one of us, priesthood of believers, 
All of us, in every context, we have the authority to do that. Why? Because you've been anointed as a priest. Now, to understand what it means to live an anointed life, you've got to ask the question, what is the blessing of being anointed by God? With the blessing of being anointed by God, we've got to go back to the very basics. So let me just start from the basics. Number one, you're not an accident. You're not an accident. Listen, you exist because God wanted to have one of you. Whether you believe that or not, you are here because God wanted to have one of you. That's why you're here. You existed in the mind of God. You existed. And until you understand that, you were made by God and you were made for God. Until you understand that, life really doesn't make sense. Life actually becomes pretty impotent, pretty frustrated at times. That God not only created me, God has a plan and a purpose for my life. And the significance and the meaning of my life comes from me figuring out what God has actually called me to do and then doing that. That God has a purpose. Did you know? You know this. Before you were even born, God had a plan of what he wanted to do with your life. He had a clear, distinct plan. It's called your calling. Our Greek New Testament, our New Testament's written in Greek. Greek word there for calling is kaleo. It means to be called out. The, the, the Latin equivalent of that is voce, V-O-C-E. And, and that means vocal, or it means to voice, or it means to vocalize. What's he saying? Your calling is God calling you to do something with your life. That's how personal it is. God specifically speaking to you with clarity and with specificity, this is what I want to do with your life. That's your calling. You may be called to be a marine biologist. It's still a calling. You may be called to be a teacher. It's still a calling. You may be called to be an artist. It's still a calling. You may be called to be a banker. You may be called to be a nurse. You may be called to be a teacher. You may be called to be a homemaker. Whatever it is, everybody who is alive has a calling of God on their life. Now you say, well, a lot of people miss out on that. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people miss out on that calling, no doubt, and they go off and do their own things, but that's also why a lot of them find unfulfillment. You will never be fulfilled doing your own plan. You're not going to be fulfilled doing what just you want to do. You're going to be fulfilled when you do what God has called you to do. We talk about this a lot. Some people think God has only called missionaries, and the only people God calls are nuns, and the only people God calls are priests, and the only people God calls are pastors. No, no, everybody has a calling on their life by God. Paul said it this way, writing from the maritime prison, about to get his head cut off for the gospel. He said, hey, I forget the things that are behind me, Philippians 3, and I press on towards the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And he said this, he said, I have not apprehended that which I've been apprehended for. So you know what that means? If I've not apprehended the thing that I was apprehended for, that is the calling God placed on my life before I was even born, I've got to let the things behind me go, and I've got to keep moving with fervency. I've got to keep moving with tenacity forward in God's purpose for my life. Listen, folks, we act like sometimes we have more invested in our life than God does. No, no, no. God has more invested in your life than you do. You didn't die for you. You haven't shed your own blood for you. He gave his only blood for you. So stop freaking out and wigging out and thinking that all of a sudden his will won't come to pass. He has more invested in you than you have invested in you. He does. He loves you with an everlasting love. He's given his son for you. And he has a calling for you. You. Now, here's the amazing thing. What God calls you to do, he wants to anoint you to do it. He wants to anoint you to do it. Look at Ephesians 2 and 10. Uh, the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 2 and 10, God has made us what we are. Let me say that another way. You're wired the way you're wired because you're wired by God. You're wired the way God wants you wired. No need to not embrace that, not admit that. God has made us what we are. Watch this. He wired you. In Christ Jesus, God made us to do good works. Word, there's ergonomics, which God planned in advance for us to live our lives doing. What's he saying? Did you realize before you were even born, God planned the calling on your life? Now, that's, that's important, but here's the catch. Are you ready? You cannot fulfill your calling the way God wants you to on your own power. God calls you to an unfair fight. People say, well, that's unfair. I know. Welcome to the king. Welcome to the kingdom, right? Welcome to the ball game. God asks you to do something that's physically impossible for you to do with your own strength. That's how God works. That's what he does. He calls you, and you can't actually, and let me say it this way. The things God wants you to do for him are only things he can do through you. So the only way you actually get those things done is not by attempting to do them, but by surrendering and allowing him to perform them. That's it. So that more in the kingdom comes from more yielding, not more doing. More surrendering, not more doing. That God, I want hunger. Lord, continue to give me hunger for your will. 
You need what is called God's anointing. Now, anointing, remember, is the power, it's the insight, it's the resource, it's the energy that allows you to do what God wants you to do. If God has a job, he'll give you the ability to do it. So what I want to do today is I want to summarize the Bible real quick and what it says about the anointing in just seven statements. Okay, Ah, we could pick 777 statements, but let me just kind of summarize the context of Scripture, the narrative of Scripture, what we learn about the anointing, and God's purpose for the anointing in our life. Six, seven things I've learned about God's anointing. Number one, when God appoints me, he anoints me. When God appoints me, he anoints me. What do you mean? The first thing we learn is that God never asks you to do something without providing you with what you need to do it. He will always provide what you need to do whatever he's asked you to do. When he gives you an assignment, he's going to give you the empowerment. When he gives you the plan, he's going to give you the power to do it. When he gives you the strategy, he's going to give you his spirit to make it happen. God's anointing comes with God's appointing. When you receive what God has for your life, you receive his power. That anointing. What is that? Y'all know what I'm talking about. The anointing, that new power, that new vitality. All of a sudden your eyes are opened up. There's a new energy. There's a fresh desire. There's a new insight. That only happens. Here's the key. That a new anointing only happens when you start doing it. And using it for what he wants to give it to you for. If you just sit back on your hands and never do what he's asking you to do, you won't receive the anointing he has for your life to do what he wants you to do. But when you start stepping out in faith and doing what God has asked you to do, he wants to give you his power. God promised to help you. His very name is Helper. His name is Parakletos, Holy Spirit. He's a helper. Why would God give us a helper if he thought we could do everything ourselves? Why would he give us an advocate if he didn't think that we were going to constantly be accused? Why did he give us a comforter if he didn't think we're always going to be uncomfortable? Okay, that's life, following Jesus, right? He kind of knew ahead of time, you're going to be accused and you're going to be uncomfortable the rest of your days. So you need an advocate and you need a comforter. You need a helper, helper of the Holy Spirit. And he comes alongside of us and he helps us. Why? Because if God calls you to do something... And you're scared to death, and you're incompetent, and you feel scared to death, and you feel incompetent, that's okay. Don't beat yourself up. Why? Because 1 Thessalonians 5.24 says this, even when I'm incompetent, the one, that's God, the one who calls you is faithful. You're not faithful. He is faithful. And what? He will do it. He will do it. Not you. He will do it. God is faithful, and he will do it. What does that verse mean, Craig? Here's what that verse means. Whatever God calls you to do, he will give you the ability to do it. He will give you the strength to do it. He will give you the empowerment to do it. If God says to do it, you can count on his anointing every time. Now, there's a lot of great examples. Praise God, yes. A lot of great examples of this. The first one that comes to mind is Jesus' first assignment to his, his, his disciples. Post-resurrection. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he's about to go back to the Father to be enthroned. But by the way, ascension is not escapement. It's not like God getting away from the world. It's enthronement. It's where God makes the, 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 the earth his footstool. That's what, that's what the ascension of Christ is. It's, he fills all things. As Paul says, that all Christ is all and in all. So we talk about Jesus going back. He's about to ascend, about to levitate on the clouds. And he looks at the disciples, and they're gathered. And he said, hey, listen. He said, I want you to go into Jerusalem and wait until you're clothed with power from on high. He said, you're going to receive my Holy Spirit. And here's what he said. And he said, then, it's only then, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, Woodstock, Cherokee County, Atlanta, America. That's what you're going to do. You're going to be my witnesses. You're not just empowered to witness. You're empowered to be a witness, an embodied witness. An embodied witness. You're going to receive power, right? And then he levitates. Shoop, gone. Two angels there. Hey, why your head's in the clouds, guys? Go do, scurry along. Do what Jesus told you to do, right? He said, the same Jesus in the same way you saw him ascend, he shall descend. That's what he said. In case with the angels communicate. And they go and they receive the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And they become witnesses. Now, here's the thing. How do those first century disciples with no planes, trains, automobiles. Great movie, by the way. Um, how in the world do they... Make it to North America. There's indigenous people in North America at the same time. There's aborigine people in Australia. How do you do that? He said, you'll be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. That seems physically impossible. Ding, 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 ding. The price is right. That's what God does every time. Every time he calls you to something, it is physically impossible. It's impossible. It's impossible. How, do you, how can it get done? And God says, you know what? I'm going to make it possible by empowering you. God says, my assignment comes with and anointing. That's number one. When God appoints me, he anoints me. Number two, 
God's anointing makes me an empowered person. God's anointing makes me an empowered person. Now with God's anointing, that's a whole other level of anointing and effectiveness. God's anointing, listen church, transforms you. It changes you from the inside out. It gives you abilities you did not have on your own. Now, again, many examples of this. Let's look at one. 1 Samuel chapter 10. This is the first king of Israel. His name was Saul. God didn't want Israel to have a king. He said, I want to be your king. I will judge you through judges. But they said, we want to be like the other nations so we can point to a person and God succumbs. He gives. He gives them a king. And he finds a man named Saul. Now, Saul's totally incompetent. Totally, oh, well, he, he feels incompetent. We'll say it that way. Uh, certainly was competent by God for most of his reign. And then he went psycho Saul there towards the end. But, but nonetheless, he, was, he felt very incompetent. He felt very insecure. He felt inadequate. Now, Saul is the prophet of, excuse me, Samuel is the prophet of God who's going about to anoint the next king. And Samuel took a flask of olive oil and he poured it on Saul's head. Now, watch what he did. He kissed him and he said, Has not the Lord anointed you ruler over his inheritance? Now, Saul's anointed, but he still don't believe it. He's still insecure. So Samuel says, over the next five verses, I'm going to give you all these different signs. And all these different signs are going to show you, Saul, that you are anointed by God. And then he gets to verse 6. I love this. He gets to verse 6 and he says, Hey, Saul, the Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you. And you will prophesy with them. Now, at this point, later in his life, Saul will walk with the school of prophets, but the prophetic word never comes off his own lips. It's coming off of everybody else's lips. And he says, The Spirit will come on you and you'll prophesy with them. And watch this. Can it get any more clear? You will be changed into a different person. You want to know what the anointing does? It changes you. Now, did he become a different person, like a totally different reality? No. It means that the character of God on the inside of him changed. His empowerment externally changed. The Spirit of the Lord changed him. What does it mean? That when God actually anoints your life, when you actually receive God's anointing, it changes you. You say, Greg, how does it change me? I call them the three C's. It's what I've always told people. Three C's. You will be more competent, you will be more confident, and you will be more calm. God's anointing will make you more competent in the calling of God in your life. It will make you more confident in the calling of God in your life. And it will make you more calm in the calling of God. See, when you're worried and nervous, and nervous as a termite and a yo-yo about your job, your vocation, your calling, whatever it is that you're facing in life, guess what? You don't have God's anointing in that moment. You don't, you're not living. You don't feel competent. You don't feel confident. You don't feel calm whatsoever. But with God's anointing, you feel like an empowered person. Number three, with God's anointing makes difficult tasks easier. God's anointing makes very difficult tasks easier. Because why? Now you're not just doing it in your own power. You're not doing it in your own desire. You're doing it with God's power. Listen, the difference between you serving God in your own power and serving God in his power is night and day. Can I show you the difference between an anointed life and an unanointed life? An anointed life and an unanointed life. Look at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16. The apostle Paul writing to the church at Ephesus, he said, From his, that's Christ, unlimited resources. God will give you mighty, you might want to circle this, inner strength. He will give you mighty inner strength through his Holy Spirit. Now, y'all, notice it said unlimited resources. My resources are limited, my knowledge is limited. My energy is limited. It changed drastically when I turned about 28, 29 years old. I don't know how many all-nighters I pulled in my 20s. When I pull an all-nighter now, I'm, I'm in a mental fog for three and a half weeks. You know, it's, our kids been sick the last few nights, and it's like, oh, dear God, you know. It's like totally different. But, but I, I actually don't have the energy I thought I had most of my life. My energy has its end. My wisdom is limited, and so is yours. But let me tell you, God's not. He's not. He's not limited. Not limited in the least bit. But God, when you have his anointing on your life, he puts mighty strength on you that you didn't muster up in your own power. That means you can handle things better. Listen, you can sustain yourself longer. You can last longer. You can go further. You say, Craig, how do you know when you don't have God's anointing on your life? Let me tell you, you're tired all the time. Exhausted. Worn out all the time because you're trying to solve your own problems. You're trying to fulfill your own purpose with your own power. One of the Holy Spirit's job is to anoint you. He knows that's his job. <laughs> to anoint you, to supernaturally empower you. That's his job. You know, the most famous verse probably in the Bible 
Uh, it goes up there with John 3.16, but certainly the one most used out of context, probably most frequently, is Philippians 4.13, right? Old Tim Tebow verse. And the Bible says in Philippians 4.13, I can do everything with the help of Christ who gives me the strength I need. What's that? I can do everything with the help of Christ who gives me the strength I need. Now, if you aren't dependent on Christ, but if you're dependent on yourself, you will be fatigued. Can I ask you a question, very personal question, but I want you to answer it in your own heart today. Are you trying to do everything you need to do in life based on adrenaline or his anointing? Because your adrenaline will run dry. What do they call it? Adrenal fatigue? Your adrenaline will run dry. When you're walking in the anointing, he said it's limitless. It gives you supernatural energy. Now watch this. Leave this verse up. Watch this. I wonder what you're filling in that blank with. I can do everything with the help of Christ. You fill in the blank. I can do everything with the help of my medication. That gives me the sanity I need. I can do everything with the help of my family. That gives me the strength I need. I can do everything with the help of my bank account. That gives me everything I need. No, no, listen to me. There is only one well in your life that does not run dry. Every other well will run dry. You hear me? And if you don't think it is, if you don't think the well is going to run dry, just ask Elijah. There will come a day where your competency will be incompetent. When God wants to put anointing in your life, he doesn't just come after you. He comes after the thing that you value most, and it crushes it. It happens every single time. I don't like it. I don't know why God does it. We can ask him when we get there one day. But he does. There's no person God uses in history that he does not also allow them to be familiar with sorrow might be why his name was called the man of sorrows I wish his name was man of victory so I'd just be victorious every day but that's just not how life is I'm deeply acquainted with sorrow deeply acquainted with grief because it's in those moments where I begin to depend on God that his power is all I need if you run or expect all other people to meet all the needs in your life listen dude you are going to be totally you're going to be mad they're going to be frustrated and y'all are going to be in fights all the time There is no human being that can ever meet all of your emotional, physical, spiritual, emotional needs. Your wife can't, your husband can't, your boyfriend can't, your best friend can't, your mom can't, your dad can't, your kids can't. Only God can. By the way, do you know what the word Christ means? Contrary to popular opinion, it's not his last name. Jesus Christ. And Christ means anointed one. That's what it means. So I know we've thrown out this word anointing because we've seen it so abused, but man, we need to recapture the brilliance of this word. Jesus' very name means anointed one. The Christ, you know what the Hebrew equivalent of that? Hamashiach. Yeshua Hamashiach. What does that mean? Messiah. What does Messiah mean? Anointed one. That's what it means, anointed one. So it's the anointed one that gives me my anointing. It's the anointed one that gives you the power to do all God wants to do in your life. Now, God doesn't give his anointing to you to do, for you to do things that you want to do. He gives his anointing to you for you to do things that he's called you to do. So let's review God's anointing. When he anoints, when he appoints, he anoints. Makes me an empowered person. Number three, it makes difficult tasks easier. Number four, God's anointing makes the impossible possible. God can do things that you and I could never do. Now, this is a big deal because in your business, you're going to come up against insurmountable obstacles. In your marriage, you're going to come up against insurmountable obstacles. In your health, you're going to come up against insurmountable obstacles. And look what Jesus said in Luke 18 and verse 27. He said, what is impossible for man is possible with God. Impossibility is where God starts. God really doesn't even start moving until impossibilities appear. And then when impossibilities appear, he's like, oh, yeah, this is no big deal done this my whole oh I don't have a life I'm my life is eternal existing no beginning no end I swear to myself God says in Isaiah I mean I mean you need the anointing of God I don't know about you but for me I've always been a pretty big dreamer I've always been a pretty big dreamer you know Ephesians 3 20 says This is the New Century Version. It said, by God's power at work within us is able to accomplish infinitely more than we could ever dare to ask for or even imagine. 
I have never been accused of being a small thinker. Even as a kid, I've never been accused of being a small dreamer. And yet this verse says, God comes to me and says, Hey, Craig, think of the greatest thing I can do in your life. You got it? I mean, just blow the top off, Craig. The thing that you're just, I mean, you're, you're afraid to even dare to imagine or ask. You can't even begin in your wildest dream to imagine or ask. And God says, I can top that. I'm better than that. But what is the greatest thing you want God to do in your life? What do you want God to do in your life right now? What's the greatest thing you could have him do? Well, Craig, I'm even afraid to even think about it. No, God says, think about the greatest thing God could do in your life. And God says, with my anointing, I can do more than that. Dare to ask. Dare to imagine. It makes the impossible possible. Folks, our belief as believers is that a man who had been dead for three days got up out of the grave. Impossibilities is what God does every day. Every day. Number five, God anoints my life to bless others. This is key. God blesses you not just so you can feel good, but you can bless other people. God gives you as anointing to help other people. When you do, of course, it helps you. If you refresh others, you yourself will be refreshed. 750 years before Jesus shows up on the scene, a man named Isaiah, the prophet, begins to write. And here's what he does. I don't know if you've heard this passage, but maybe not in this way. Isaiah 61, Isaiah says, I know I'm anointed by God. And then he makes a list of six types of people in pain. He says, I'm anointed by God to help these people in pain. That's what I'm anointed by God. The anointing of God, the supernatural ability, wisdom, resource of God is upon me to help these six types of people in pain. I'm going to use this anointing to help these six kinds of people. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the suffering and afflicted. Number one, God's anointing comes on my life, what? To preach the gospel to the poor, to those that are suffering, to those that are afflicted. God's anointing upon my life is to help those people. It's to help those people. It's to come alongside those people. Number two, his anointing is called among my life to comfort the brokenhearted. Brokenheartedness galore in the culture you and I live in. Broken hearts everywhere. He has called me to comfort the brokenhearted. I can rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. I can be the presence of Christ to my brother or my sister or whoever it is at my workplace that needs me to sit there and empathize with them and bring comfort to their broken Hardness. Number three, what is the anointing on me to do? He sent me to what? Announce liberty to the captives. In other words, you're called to set people free. You are. As his priesthood, you are called to a, a set people free from their own self-imposed prisons, whether it's anxiety or depression or, or some area of addiction or bondage or whatever it is in their life that they've created a self-imposed prison. God says his anointing is upon me, Isaiah said, in order to proclaim liberty, in order to get people out of whatever bondage they find themselves in. And number four, to open the eyes of the blind. What is the word, What does the anointing of God do? It, it helps people see stuff they've never seen before. It helps people see, I mean, isn't it amazing how you can read the same passage 125 times and one person gets up and preaches it and on the 126th time, all hell breaks loose. I mean, it's like everything in your life comes to fight that word and everything in that word becomes revelation knowledge to you. What's happened? It's the anointing that brings about revelation. It takes the veil off. That's what Paul said. By the way, we are really big on information. We're not so big on revelation, but you know what turns information into revelation? Meditation. If you'll meditate on information, you will get revelation. That's the anointing. And so I learn God's truth and I meditate on God's truth and it becomes truth to me. It becomes revelation to me. Number five, he has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of God's favor to them has come. Hey, listen, if you haven't mourned yet, you haven't had a severe grief or loss yet, it's coming. You're either going into a grief, you're in a grief, or you're coming out of a grief. But more grief's coming. And the anointing comes to what? To comfort. Comfort. What only that? Number six. He goes on in verse three. This is the sixth thing the anointing does. To all who mourn in Israel, he'll give what? Beauty for ashes. Joy instead of mourning. Praise instead of heaviness. That's what God's anointing does. By the way, do you know what Jesus' first ever public sermon was? Luke chapter 4, when he stood up in the temple and he opened the scroll of Isaiah. And he preached a short sermon, way shorter than mine. Isaiah 61, he said, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord's on me. Preach the gospel to the poor. Bind up the brokenhearted. Proclaim liberty to the captive. Come for those who mourn. 
Speak of the year of the acceptable, your, uh, the year of the, the, the Lord's favor, the acceptable year of the Lord's favor. He probably said it a whole lot better than me. Um, and then he says to give beauty for ashes. And then you want to talk about Dank 2.0. He rolls the scroll back up, sets it down on the table, sets it down in the congregation and says, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled right in front of you. I mean, bam, drop the mic. Right? In other words, I am the one who's come to comfort you. I'm the one who's coming to bring good news to you. I'm the one to come liber- to give liberty to your life. What an amazing God we have, y'all, that he is concerned about the emotional needs of my life. God's interested in my hurts, habits, and hang-ups. And when God anoints you, what he'll do is he wants to use you to help others in their pain. And when you do that, God helps you in your pain. Listen, the favor you've been given is not meant to benefit you it's meant to benefit others someone asked me this week what's your definition of ministry and i thought that's a great question here's my definition of ministry the whole point of ministry is to release his presence that's it all ministry to any person at any time is the release of god's presence in that situation we have been designed by god as a resting place for the spirit of god he lives in us you know what that means that means We change every environment we walk into. Why? Because the Spirit of God lives in us. God's presence lives in us. By the way, this is indeed the text Jesus uses. He goes on in Acts 10.38, and the Bible says, God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and with power. Don't you like that Trinitarian verse? God the Father anointed Jesus the Son with the Holy Spirit and power. And the Bible says, He went around, Acts 10.38, doing good, and watch this, Healing everybody who had been beaten up by the devil. You want to know what God's anointing on your life is for? It's to make the world a better place, folks. To bring some good into our world that's so sin-drenched and so pain-filled. To bring good into your situations. To bring good into your workplaces. People are getting beat up and harassed by the devil. Every, every year Thanksgiving wears me out again because i got to get around family members who won't choose to accept the grace that God wants to give to liberate them from their, their, their captive prisons. And it messes me up. My wife knows it messes me up for days and I'm just thinking man the presence of God wants to restore you honey he wants to wreck your world but you have to be willing to receive his love you have to be listen listen your heart will take you places your head won't fit into if you would just allow your heart to listen to God I know your head doesn't understand it I know your head won't ever wrap around it I know that mine doesn't either But his presence wants to heal you. It wants to touch you. It wants to strengthen you. It wants to liberate you. The purpose of the anointing, why? So you make the world a better place. So you bring about good. And the thing is, God wants to do that with you. Because you are a priest and you are anointed. Sixthly, for every new challenge, I need a fresh anointing. I need a fresh anointing. Anointing by the Holy Spirit can't be stored up. Would be nice if it could be, right? I can't go, yeah, I remember back in 2002, man. Woo! I felt close to God. I felt a quiver in my liver. Chill bumps down my spine. Woo! The band played the right swell. Once that swell got in, woo! I felt the Spirit of God lift me up in the back in that swell. No, no, no. No, no. You can't store it up. God's anointing is like manna. And every day fresh manna would come from God, and it can only last it a day, and then it's spooled because God wants you to depend on him every day for his anointing. The prayer, the Lord's prayer is not, give us this day our monthly bread. It's give us this day our daily bread. Daily substance. Daily sustaining. Give us this day our quarterly bread. No, no, no. It's daily bread. He gives you just enough for that day so that you need a fresh anointing for tomorrow. He gives you enough to accomplish the task of that day. You need some fresh oil in your lamp every day. How do people lose the anointing? Because they can lose the anointing, by the way. They can lose the anointing. You can extinguish it. I don't have time to show you, but in 1 Samuel chapter 10, if we kept on going, Saul extinguished it. You know how he extinguished it? Something called the F-L-E-S-H. The flesh. He extinguished the anointing. He did. You say, how do people lose it? Lots of ways. People take it for granted. They can lose the anointing through pride. I think that's probably the biggest one, pride, self-sufficiency, through greed. 
They can lose it by refusing to forgive people. You can lose it from uncontrolled anger. History, I know it's sad, but it's littered with people who had God's anointing and blessing and were seeing results, and all of a sudden they lose it all. And as a young Christian, oh, that was so hard for me to differentiate between the vessel and God's anointing. That was so hard for me. I could never understand why people would be used when I knew what was going on in their life. I had such a hard time distinguishing that. They lost it all. That anointing you had last year or at youth camp when you were 16, not any good for today. Anointing you had last Sunday, not any good for today, which means you're going to have to get alone before God daily. You're going to have to lock yourself away in your prayer closet, and you're going to have to spend time with him. You're going to have to ask him to speak to your heart. You're going to have to let faith grow in your heart. You know what? If you will make history with God, he will make history through you. If you make history with God in the private place, he'll make history through you and the world around you. You rarely, listen, you rarely will lead people corporately where you have not been privately yourself. So if you want to bring healing to your workplace, let the Lord bring healing. You better get in your prayer place and let God heal your wounds. I'm telling you. And if you'll let him heal your wounds, you will be amazed at how many people flock to you who need healing. But you will rarely lead people corporately where you haven't been privately, where you haven't experienced privately. You know what the problem is? We as Christians, we all leak. (laughs) We're leaky. We get filled with his anointing, but we leak his power. We leak his vision. We leak his drive, his grace. You cannot handle today's problems with yesterday's anointing. You cannot handle next year's problems with this year's anointing. Say, Craig, how do I stay filled? Well, there's a lot of different ways I can answer that. The Lord led me to a passage I wanted to share with you. Hosea chapter 10, in closing. Hosea chapter 10, it's amazing because this gives us four ways that we receive the anointing or we get refilled with the anointing. Notice what the prophet Hosea says. He said, sow new seeds of righteousness. By the way, that's a a paradigm or or a symbol for prayer. Prayer is sowing. You're sowing seeds. And you're expecting to reap from the same place you sow. He said, you'll reap the fruit of my love. And break up your old hardened ground. It's time to turn to me and seek the Lord. Watch this. And God says, and then I will come. Then I will come and shower new blessings on you. You want to talk about new anointing? That's it. Shower new blessings. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about when new blessings come upon you. You know, you know. although you may not be able to put vernacular terminology to it, you know what it's like when God gives you a new shower. It's overwhelming. It's overwhelming. The only true kind of fruit in your life is gratitude. You ever been there before? When the new shower hit you so hard, you fell to the ground, and you just said, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Anybody you saw, you're ready to wash their feet. Anybody you saw, you're ready to take communion with them. Anybody you saw, you're ready to lay hands hands on them. Why? Because you're overwhelmed with showers of blessing. You're overwhelmed. It is overwhelming. It's absolutely overwhelming. It's so overwhelming that God gave us a prayer language as a foretaste of the divine heavenly so that we can start, go ahead and talking like what we'll talk about there. We're a divine foretaste. It's overwhelming to experience of that kingdom, to eat of that kingdom, to receive of that kingdom. And yet God says it's his good pleasure to give us that kingdom. So he says, break up your old hardened ground. Now, if you're a farmer and you uh, you got dry ground, crusty ground, hardened ground, hadn't been plowed in 15 years, you maybe, maybe you're in here and you don't feel any joy like you used to feel. Maybe you don't feel any presence of God like you used to feel. Maybe you don't feel close to God like you used to feel. Maybe Maybe you don't feel happiness like you used to feel. Your heart maybe is even hard towards other people. Or maybe your heart is even hard towards God. You need to do some spade work, he says. It's time to start breaking up the ground. The hard ground has got to be broken up. He said, turn to me and seek the Lord. Listen, how does God turn hard ground into soft ground so something can sprout? How does he turn crusty ground into soft soil so that something can come up? By sending a storm. By sending some rain clouds. And here comes some rain clouds to dump some rain on crusty, crusty clots in your heart. Dirt clots. You got a storm going on? I always say God may be breaking up the dirt clots in your heart. Because in that passage, he says four things. Number one, you got to sow seeds of righteousness. You want God's anointing? You got to pray. You got to pray, 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 pray. Prayer is a means of knowing God, not prayer is a means of getting things from God. Prayer is a means of spending time with God. Prayer is a means of taking time to be with the Lord. Number two, humility and confession. I'm now convinced nothing in the kingdom of God is given apart from this disposition of humility. 
Think about it. Every time, every single time, every single time, you've actually given something to the Lord in humility and confession, something shifted in your life. Think back on your own advancement. Something shifted. Happens every single time. You've got to come before the Lord and confess and break up the ground. Number three, turn back to God. And number four, seek God. How do I get God's anointing back on my life? Or how do I get it for the first time? You ready? Here's the number one way. The number one way you get God's anointing, you ask for it. James 4.2, you have not because you don't ask God. You don't ask God. If you don't have God's power, you're not waiting on God. God's waiting on you. When was the last time you asked God to make your career successful and then you said, God, I'll do it any way you ask me to do it? When's the last time you, you really sat down and you said, God, make my marriage successful and I'll do it however you ask me to do it? When's the last time you sat down and said, God, make my finances successful, but Lord, I'll do it however you want me to do it? See, for a lot of us in this room, if God were to show you what he, create, what he could have done with your life to this point but hasn't been able to, you'd be really sad. But if God were to show you what he can do with the rest of your life from today, it would blow your mind. It would blow your mind. Psalm 84, 11, no good thing does he withhold from them that love him and live right. You know what that means? God says to Craig today, Craig, there is nothing good for you that I will hold back, I promise. If you're not getting it, it's because it's not good for you. But I will give to you everything that's good for you. Everything that's good for you. I'm going to keep giving it to you, Craig. I promise you. You wait on it. I'm going to give it to you. You say, Craig, is the anointing of God available to all believers? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Put on your card a quote from Duncan Campbell. He said, the kingdom of God is not going to be advanced by our churches being filled with men, but by men and our churches being filled with God. That's good enough to say again. The kingdom of God is not going to be advanced by our churches being filled with men, but by our churches being filled with God. Isn't that true? Oh my goodness, folks. Is How true is that? I mean, you really think America's problems are going to be dealt with because churches get filled up? Are we kidding ourselves? The only way America's problems get dealt with is when God's people get filled with God. When we get filled with Him. He goes on in Psalm 62. I love this text. Psalm 62, verse 2 and 3. He said, My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there's no water. I've looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. You know what that means? That means there has to come a point in your life, in every person's life, where you set your heart towards God. I wish, I could, I wish you'd hear me today. Daniel did it. Nehemiah did it. Ezra did it. There has to come a point when God has anointed your life where you say, you know what, God? I am going to allow my heart to be set towards you. And when God anoints your life, you know what I'm talking about. Your conversations take on more weight at work. All of a sudden, everything in your life is different. You are supernaturally overcome with love for people that you don't even know. You're supernaturally overcome with grace for people that you've never had grace for before in your life. It's his anointing. What difference could you make on your job if you were anointed by God? Truck drivers, construction workers, bug spray people, real estate agents, doctors, teachers. The fire of God falls on a person who has surrendered and submitted their life. And this is where in the preaching we lose half the crowd. Because everyone says that's great. But they're not willing to pay the price. Or the cost. And there is a cost. I read from a lot of Puritans. You know this. I quote Puritans. I love Puritans. Puritans came over to America before the pioneers did. And a lot of them in the 15th, 16th century, if you read them. Uh, by the way, do you know the difference between Puritans and pilgrims? Puritans were trying to purify the church from the inside. Pilgrims wanted to escape persecution to start a church elsewhere. So when you read the Puritans, Puritans are very theological. Their writings are amazing. They really are. 16th century Puritans, it's amazing to read. And a lot of their phrases that they use over and over and over in their writings, and even they title their sermons this, is this. One thing the Puritans would always say, they would always say, Others may, you cannot. When it comes to being filled with the Holy Spirit, others may do that, but you cannot. 
You want your relationship with God to deepen? Others may be able to do that, but you cannot. You want to walk into a more deeper, prominent relationship with God this year? Then some things have to be cast off. Others may, but you cannot. Let me say it this way. The further you go with God, the less you can take with you. The less you can take with you. More has to come off. More has to be shed. And when God does something, you say, well, that's horrible. No, no, no. When God does something with you, it's always an exchange. So if he asks you to give something up, it's because he wants to give you a greater anointing in place of it. He's never asking you to give up something that he doesn't want to bless you and strengthen you. Even, even, even if I, and you'll look at your life and say, man, how in the world did I even enjoy that back then? How in the world did I even like that? Why? Because his anointing leads to a radical departure from nominal Christianity. This is what separates nominal Christianity from followers. It's anointing. Someone filled with the Holy Spirit won't look like a carnal Christian. How can they? They can't. That's why he said friendship with the world is hatred towards God. Listen, the more of God always leads to less of the world. It's a non-negotiable. And what that means is more of the world needs leads to less of God. You say, Craig, we're not supposed to love the world? No, no, no. The word world there in 1 John is the word cosmos, and it means the world's mindset. When you have the world's mindset, you're an enemy of God. No, he wants you to love the world. He gave his blood for the world. It's that when I succumb to the world's mindset, it always leads to less and less of God. But people who are filled with anointing, they're just hungry for more of God. I wish I could get something better to say to you this week. I really could. I tried hard, but I can't. What separates people that are anointed and not anointed is that anointed people are hungry and anointed, unknowing people are content with where they're at. They're just content. They're enough. Enough. But when God ignites your heart with contrition, with hunger, you say, God, I want to ask. For your anointing. Well, listen, when you ask for his anointing, you're asking for the fire of God. To ask for his anointing is to ask for trial and persecution and crushing. I never forget my mentor. Come on up, team. Or whoever's play. Yeah, come on up. Never forget my mentor years and years ago. I'd get around him and he would I would ask the question about anointing and about the process of development that each of our lives go through. And he, he would always tell me, he said, people always want the anointing without paying the price. <laughs> and he said, there's a cost to the anointing. And I said, well, what are you talking about? He said, yeah, I'll go preach somewhere and people say, preacher, lay your hands on me. I want your anointing, right? I want the anointing of God. He knows it's nothing significant about the person, but he wants the anointing that, that person carries, the presence of God, the anointing of God on a person. And he said, please, so what kind of justice would it be for you to get in a flash what someone else suffered a lifetime to get? You, you want my anointing? Now what injustice would it be for you to receive through the laying on of hands what it took me crawling through hell to get? What kind of justice would it be for you to receive another person's anointing without the pain they went through? Another person's anointing without the agony they went through, without the suffering they went through, without the rejection they went through. Oh, you want my anointing? He used to always say to people, okay, I'll pray that you have a childhood that's horrible, that's totally inconsistent with no parents in your home. There's going to be days you're hungry. There's going to be days you're going to crawl around on the floor to get your own food. You want that kind of anointing? Okay, let me pray that for you. And then all of a sudden other people back up. Well, I don't, want, I, I don't, I don't know if I want that. You, you want in a flash what cost me a lifetime of suffering to get? Please, please. Well, would you just pray for, pray for me to be anointed? Okay. Lord, I pray for this person's future path to be totally crushing. Do you want to pray and say, God, crush my path? Gethsemane was the place of the oil press. It was the place of refinery. That's what it was. And olives were crushed. We call this consecrated oil. We call it consecrated oil because it's been prayed over. And that's nothing special about this oil. E-V-O-O. Publix, Kroger, probably Kroger. 
You can get this for about $4 a bottle. You can get your own bottle. But this is consecrated oil. You know why? Because we've prayed over it. We use it in God's house to pray for people. That's what he told us to do. Now look, you can go get your own bottle of oil and you can put it in your own container. I chose a mason jar because I like this mason jar from my house. But listen, you can spend 4 or $5 and you can put it in your own container. People say, hey, how much does that oil cost you? And I say, oh, it costs me about $4 because I'm not the olive. But somewhere behind an oil refinery place is an old discarded, in the dump, in the trash can olive that has been beaten, that has been bruised, that has been crushed, that has been half pulverized. How much does that oil cost? Oh, it'll tell you how much it costs. It cost every drop was another crushing experience. The oil, the olive knows the agony that you have to go through in order to produce the oil of joy, the oil of gladness. You want an anointing? You're saying, God, with each bump, with each moment I've been crushed, God, more oil flows in my life. Oh, yeah, it only cost me $4, but it cost that olive its life. So before you look at your neighbor in church and say, Woo, I want his anointing. I want her anointing. Man, I wish I had their anointing. You might as well just go ahead and look over at your neighbor and say, Hey, hey, how much did it cost you to have a smile on your face when you were going through hell with your family? Hey, how much did it cost you to get up and go to church faithfully and go to the house of God and keep a smile on your face and keep blessing other people when on the inside you were dying and laying in your own bed of despair? Hey, hey, how much did it cost you to have to go visit the jailhouse time and time again to visit your own child who's got DUI after DUI when everybody else's child gets set free that you're ministering to and all the sudden then you won't probably ask for the anointing that they have can you get that anointing without paying the price no 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 in a Gethsemane moment of my life when I was being crushed and contemplated giving up I I got on my phone of all things and a video popped up. It's a real short video. I won't show you the whole video. I'll just show you a short segment. But it's a man who I deeply honor, deeply respect. Oh, you can throw whatever you want to throw at him, whatever spears you desire, but his name is T.D. Jakes. He's a preacher's preacher, a prince of preachers, a pastor's pastor. And he talks about people come to him all the time and say, hey, what did your anointing cost you? He said, Everything. cost me getting up on Sundays and preaching about faith and going home and holding my wife for four or five hours crying together in our bed of doubt caused me losing my daughter teen pregnancy the cost to be in the spotlight of ministry to be destroyed same people that hoisted you up then pulled you down what do you mean what am I anointing it cost me everything And then he was asked a question about the time in his life that he almost gave up, and it just floored me. I mean, it was like fresh manna to my soul. So I want you to watch this quick clip. We're going to pray together and go out with a benediction today. Watch this video. I'm a country boy. I'm from West Virginia. I don't know nothing about this big-time stuff. I just, I never even asked to be big. I wanted to be effective. And the first time I was in the Washington Post, The article was so vicious, it made me nauseous. I was so shocked that you could say that stuff about somebody you didn't even know based on assumptions and a little bit of this and a little bit of that. They piece it all together and you don't get the same thing back. So I decided I don't want this. I was preaching for Pastor Bishop Donnie Mears and nobody knew it because preachers can override their feelings and function. I preached the place was on fire, but inside I wanted to quit. I told God, I'm through with this. I'm not going through this. I don't need this. I don't, see, I don't need that. I didn't ask for this. I'm only doing this because 
of, of what happened in my life, of the circumstances that happened in my life. He put me on stage. I didn't ask for it. So I was mad inside. I was hurt. And uh, I stayed up in the fellowship with the pastors because I didn't want to go back to my room and sulk in my own sorrows. And they said, there's a lady downstairs waiting to see you. The service was over and the fellowship was over. The pastor was starting to leave. I was trying to outweigh her. I thought she'd give up and leave. And when I finally came down the steps, she was there. And she was just a willowy bit of a woman. And uh, she said, Bishop Jakes, she said, uh, I've been in the hospital. She said, uh, I was pregnant in my fallopian tubes. And the baby died in my tubes. And I was carrying around a dead baby. And the toxicity from the baby almost killed me. And she said, the only thing that kept me alive was hearing you preach. She said, if you hadn't been preaching to me every day, I swear I would have died. It hit me so hard. I didn't even get her name. I got in the car and cried all the way back to my room because she reminded me why I was there. Last week when I texted you, I was up in Baltimore in DC and I was doing a book signing. And this woman came up to the table to buy soul. <laughs> she said, you don't remember me, do you? I said, no. She didn't even look like the same person. She's all dressed up and gained weight. She felt like she said, I met you in the bottom of Donnelly's church years ago, and I burst into tears. I lost it. I stopped the sign, and I jumped up and hugged it. If it were not Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.